You probably already knew this, but just in case you forgot, you're listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out now at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Last week, what we saw in our series on the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus saying why we should not work. We remember Jesus emphasizing it three different times. Matthew chapter 6, do not worry, do not worry. And then he says again, he says, do not worry. And this morning, I want to continue this, but more so I want to emphasize anxiety. So we come into the book of Joshua for just one week. Joshua chapter 1, and we're once again going to hear God use a certain phrase to to alleviate the worry and anxiety of, of his people. Only in this particular text, he does not say do not worry, but what he says is be strong and be courageous. And as you can see on the screen, strong and courageous in the third degree. Now, as we come into the book of Joshua, there in Joshua chapter 1, right before I get to our text in verse 6, I just want to begin in verses 1 and 2 so that we can understand exactly what the backdrop is to what we're going to read. Joshua chapter 1, starting in the first verse here, is what, what we read. That now it came about after the death of Moses, who was a servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all of this people to the land which I am giving to them, unto the sons of Israel. And now we drop down into verse 6, and then we hear God say it for the very first time. Where he says, be strong and courageous. For ye shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Then he says it again, verse 7. He says, only be strong and very courageous. For ye shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers in order to give them. He says, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that ye may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Then one last time, he says in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, because the Lord your God is with you wherever it is that you go. And so Joshua stood at the Jordan River, and he had no doubt. Now, whenever I read the text, I I believe that, that maybe, that probably I would have had my doubts. That's because as, George, as Joshua stands at the Jordan River, the Bible says that, that it is at flood stage, meaning it is as wide as a football field is long. The body of water is traveling 20 to 25 miles per hour. And God says to Joshua, tomorrow morning, you're going to take these three million people called the Israelites, and you are going right across that river. And I want you to know that there are, there are no bridges, there, there are no helicopters, there, there, there are no boats 
there was nothing to carry them across. And after 40 years of wandering in the desert, the only thing that, that now remains until they at last enter into the promised land is the only way into it is that they have to go right across that river. And so just as a quick means of, of recap, if we could even sympathize in the shoes of Joshua, imagine being Joshua to where God speaks to you and he says that, that, that Moses is dead. And that, by the way, you are going to be the new Moses. You are Moses' replacement. Oh, and by the way, Joshua, that starts right now. I mean, just go and be Moses. I mean, no pressure, right? No pressure. Just, just go and be, be Moses. You know, it reminds me a lot of, of this guy right here. I'm guessing nobody here knows who he is. His name is, um, is Pete Myers. And he was a former NBA player in the early 1990s. And, and so the story about Pete Myers is Michael Jordan, he retires for the very first time in 1993. You know, he's averaging 33 points a game, NBA champion, three times over at this point. And yet Michael Jordan, he retires, greatest athlete of the 20th century, arguably. And so when Michael Jordan retires, Pete Myers was Michael Jordan's replacement. I, I mean, just, just imagine that. You have been signed to an NBA contract, but you got to replace Michael Jordan. No pressure, right? No pressure whatsoever. And so, I mean, yeah, this is where Joshua is right now. He's got to be the new Moses. But it's not just that, because remember, notice in our text that what God also says is that I need you to lead millions of people across a river that just so happens to be raging out of its mind right now. And then once you've done that, <laughs> he says, then I need you to capture the entire city of Jericho, overthrow it, and you need to annihilate everything and everyone in your sight. And I mean, Joshua has so many reasons to be carried away in anxiety right now. I mean, I would. I mean, if it were me, I would just be looking at that river thinking, I mean, how is this even going to, to work? And as we look at this raging river right here, I want you all to imagine that you've got elderly people. You've got elderly people in your number. I mean, all kinds of, of old people, 90, 100 plus years old. You've got to lead them across a raging river going 20, 25 miles an hour. You've got, you have very young infants who young parents have to somehow get across a river like that with. And it would be so easy to, to have worry and anxiety in this situation, wouldn't it? I mean, not that long ago in the book of Numbers, we also read about how many people in Israel have been absolutely terrified about all these giants walking around in the promised land. Yet God is saying, go into there, overthrow that city. What amazes me is that Joshua has, at least in the text, he, he has no anxiety whatsoever. Just as God says, so Joshua does in this regard. And so what is standing in the way of Israel here is that they, they have a, um, a raging Jordan River at flood stage. 
They've got the walls of Jericho in this huge fortified city. And yet the greatest thing that, that Israel, historically speaking, had going against them was that they had marveled in celebration at, at all the times God had worked in the history of their forefathers. And yet when it came to, to they themselves, they had a, a real struggle really believing and trusting that, that the same God was also active in their present modern day lives then. And yet, you know what? I don't think it's just them. I think this still continues in the church of today. Where day after day, week after week, what we do is we, we all meet together in this place and we rejoice and we praise God about all of these things that we read about in Scripture only to respond to our adversity or to respond to all of our problems in this world acting as if, you know, God is halfway retired now. He doesn't really get involved in all of these incredible, cool ways anymore. And yet the good news is for us is that the exact same God who was working then in the pages of Joshua, He's the same exact God who, is, who we are worshiping here this morning. He's got the same power then as He does as we sit here right now. And so for just a few minutes, what I want to do this morning is to learn along with, with you how, how we can live strongly and courageously in a world and in the midst of anxiety. And there's a few things that we find in the text about exactly how we can do this. And I love that about Scripture. It's not just, don't worry, be strong and courageous, but here is how we can be strong and courageous. And so the very first way that we can live strong and courageously, we've got to concentrate. We see this in the text, concentrate. And as a person who struggles in a severe way with anxiety, I can tell you that every time, whenever I am completely overwhelmed by anxiety, I'm, I am concentrating on the wrong things. I'm concentrating on all this stuff that had happened 15, 20 you know, four or five years ago. My mind is on the wrong thing. As we see the Israelites, when they stood before Goliath trembling in fear about this huge imposing giant, their mind was on the giants. As we see them in the wilderness worrying, complaining, where are we going to get food? We, we are about to die their minds and their hearts were completely on the wrong thing. And so what Joshua is doing in our text is Joshua here is saying, look at God. Take your eyes off of your problem, off of your adversity, off of your, your hardship, whatever is standing before you, and set your eyes on the living God. And we see this in the text in a number of ways. One of those, those, those ways is, is that certain priests had been instructed that you are to be the very first ones into the Jordan River. And as they went into the Jordan River, they had carried the Ark of the Covenant. And so the idea here is that, is that God is going into that river first. God will be the very first one into that river. Do not fear. Concentrate on his power. And in fact, it's exactly what we find in verse 7 here, where... Once again, it says, be careful to do according to all of the law 
which, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Verse 8 goes on and says, meditate on it day and night. In other words, concentrate on it. Read it. Obey it with, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've got to concentrate on this. And one person who we find doing this so beautifully was the Apostle Peter. Now we remember very early on into the ministry of Jesus as he's training all of these guys to be his followers. Well, we find them on a boat late one night and we all know the story. There, there is a terrifying sea storm. The apostles, just as we would have, they, they are losing their minds, panicking. We are about to drown. Lord, save us, help us. Save us, we're about to die out here, right? And yet, the Apostle Peter finds Jesus, and, and, and Jesus has so much peace and tranquility consuming his soul. His mind is so wrapped up in the kingdom of, 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 of God that, that during this horrific sea storm, Jesus is sound asleep. Jesus is sleeping like a baby. And I think that that had an impression on Peter because the reason I say that is because much later on, we fast forward and we come into the book of Acts and, and James the Apostle is in prison. He, he's just been beheaded in jail. And it looks like Peter is next on the chopping block. And yet, as the angel arrives in that cell and he rescues Peter, he has to wake Peter up. I mean, Peter has so much peace, so much tranquility consuming his heart. His mind is so caught up in the kingdom of heaven that he's not even all that scared that, yeah, I might lose my life tonight. Peter is sleeping like a baby on death row. This has so much connection with what we find in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, fixing our eyes, casting our eyes on the author and the perfecter of the faith. We remember how on yet another instance, as we find the Apostle Peter on a sea storm there on the waters, he says, Lord, call out to me and I will walk out to you. And sure enough, as long as his eyes had been fixated on Jesus, one of us walked on water. See, this is what happens when we concentrate fully on the power of God and on his kingdom. And you know what? Peace is a very intentional pathway, though, isn't it? Peace is a very deliberate choice, where, whereas we find in the book of Colossians, notice how it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says to his apostles, do not let your heart be troubled. You see, whenever we are completely overwhelmed by anxiety, and anxiety is, is having its way with us, and it's paralyzing our very soul, largely in part, we are concentrating on the wrong thing. So what Joshua says once again, look at God. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Do not let your heart be troubled. And you know, we could come up with a thousand reasons to spend our life hiding and cowering in anxiety. And yet, God's power in us destroys and debunks all of those re reasons why we should worry and why we should be paralyzed with anxiety. 
You see, what we need to do, what, however our anxiety manifests, manifests itself in our life, concentrate on the one who sleeps during sea storms. Because however we arrive at anxiety in this world, all kinds of unique ways, however that, that looks in our life, yes, it's still terrifying. Yes, it is still overwhelming. Yes, it will be a daunting task no matter what. But when our eyes are locked and fixated on the author and perfecter of the faith, Jesus Christ, we're going to walk on water. And so he says concentrate. But, but notice how he also says consecrate. We find this in chapter 3 and verse 5 where it says, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now that word consecrate means that you treat something as supremely holy. It means to devote and to be in a state of dedication towards something or towards someone. And it's the same way that we find as we find the Israelites in the book of Exodus at Mount Sinai, just before Moses goes up, that the Israelites were to consecrate themselves, meaning that they were to, to um, clean up, that they were to put on fresh clothes, that husbands and wives were to abstain the evening before, but mainly what this means is that their very hearts and their minds were to be prepared and devoted, treated as holy as God himself was. In other words, that we anticipate God is about to do something beautiful here. Even that we are going to, to dream about it, daydream about it. God is about to do something that, that is going to completely blow our minds right now. And I love so much how in our text, in, in chapter 1, what we learn in the Hebrew language. when As God says, be strong. What this means in the Hebrew language is simply to be. In other words, be a son of mine. Be a believer of mine. And then ultimately how he says on that second occasion, he says, notice, be strong and very courageous. My favorite meaning of all in this text in the Hebrew is what that word very means is louder and louder. Where you're just amping up a volume on on how much you are relying on me, how much you are trusting in me, do it louder and louder and louder, God says. And again, I think about the um, Apostle Peter as he's writing to a whole bunch of Christians scattered about, and they are, are in a place where they're very scared, a lot of anxiety, a lot of persecution. Notice how among his encouragements and his instruction to these Christians, he says, prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to have a consecrated mind that we anticipate God is, God is going to, to rescue us. And then once we have that spirit of anticipation, lastly, what we find here in the text, is to congregate. We've got to congregate, because notice how in chapter 3, we see it's not just Joshua and a couple of priests who are going into this river, but rather it's the entire nation of the Israelites. Where we find brother and sister marching into that riverbed alongside together. 
And then all of a sudden, this, this terrifying, imposing, raging river miraculously and possibly stands up in one giant heap as the Israelites pass through on dry ground. They did this together. And yet, what is most incredible about this, what, what just puts a smile on my face every time that I read this, is that the Jordan River did not lose its power until God's people got their feet wet. Because notice in chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says, So when the people set out from their... Um, next page, it says, And so when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and when, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark had been dipped into the edge of the water, the waters which were flowing down from above stood up and rose up in one heap. And for the life of me, I wish so bad that I could have been there to have seen the look on those priests' face as the very first people who are going into the water. I mean, what, what would their, their expressions have looked like? Is it like just awe? Is it, I don't know what's about to happen, but I know God is going to do something great here? I mean, I, I don't know, but... And I can only dream about this. And yet we know that they had incredible faith because faith without works is dead, we know. And until they had dipped their, their toes into that river, this never would have even happened. And yet they were able to do it because they were emboldened by God's people. And yet it also happened because they were empowered by the very power of God within them, thinking, there is nothing that I cannot do as long as I've got God's power within me. God did it. And they experienced every second of it there together. I would say one of the most beautiful melodies that has ever been composed is military taps. Where whenever there is a man or a woman who has been in foreign wars, or who has been, been um, a veteran, any kind of armed service, and they die, customarily it is our tradition to have a person who is in uniform, and they come to their memorial service and they play um, taps. And this is always that moment in the memorial service where, where by far you, where you know, the crying is the very loudest in the room. It's a very emotional song. Every time that we're at a memorial service of a person who we love very much and we hear that, I mean, we just can't stop crying. And yet, as we are crying, even though it's a very emotional melody, it's also very emboldening to us. 
as we look over at our friend and they are now a widow and they're weeping on a folded flag, what washes over us is that I've got to be strong for my friend right now. They have never needed me more than they do right now. But it's, but it's also very emboldening for the widow they themselves. As they hear that, that beautiful music, what I imagine washes over them is that it's as if their lost spouse is, is transmitting one final message to them through the medium and the prism of that melody as a means of saying that I, I know that you, that your heart is broken and you rightfully cry out your, your very heart for me. And I know this is going to leave emotional scars that, that are never going to exactly go away. I know that this is a very, very, very scary thing. And yet I need you to be courageous. I need you to be strong in the days which are ahead. And in so many ways, as I read Joshua chapter 1, I can hear taps playing as God says, Moses is dead. And now Joshua, I need you to be strong and I need you to be courageous to the third degree. And we all know how the story ends, don't we? After they had concentrated, consecrated, and congregated there together in a faithful manner, we see the Jordan River, as we read, stand up in one giant heap and they pass through on dry ground. We see the walls of Jericho come crashing down. And yet all of that is ancient history now. We are the army of God of today. We are the 29th chapter of Acts. We are the church of today. And so, the question that I just want to ask you as we close is, what is standing in your way this morning? What's standing in my way? What is standing in our way as a church here in Westchester? I mean, I've got to imagine that there are many things that are standing in our way this morning, right? Well, if you were to ask me that question, it would be anxiety. I have something called social anxiety disorder where if you spend your, your whole entire life being a punchline and a laughingstock, that, I mean, it, it rapes your, your mind, really messes with how you, you think. And so it's this extreme anxiety that, that I don't want to be judged. It's this fear, very irrational fear that that even now, even as I can have conversations that last in my life these past two years, still I've got this lingering anxiety so often that, that every time I open up my mouth mid-conversation, I'm going to be laughed at. I'm going to be judged. God says, be strong. I need you to be strong, and I need you to be courageous. Maybe what is standing in your way this morning, in our way as a church, is simply nostalgia. That when we speak about this church, all that ever comes up is what happened in this church way back in 1973 or in 1983 or in 1995. And that's fine, but if our hearts and our minds are, are still way back then and we're not in the present day age, God says, I need you to be strong and I need you to be courageous right now. 
I am not through working in this world. If you will, will have my, my power and welcome it in your church, the very best days of this church are the ones which are ahead. Or maybe what is standing in our way is that, well, we're a small church. We live a far ways away from each other, and it's hard to really get together in the week. I think Jesus would remind us that this whole movement started with just one rabbi and 12 guys in an upper room. We've got much more than that here this morning. Jesus would say, do not lose heart. Be strong and be courageous. And so maybe how we need to respond to this as a church is we actually have an opportunity right now. We, we have a sign-up sheet in the hallway. It's called um, Four Square, where we're going to have a fellowship meal together every so often, every, every week. And everybody who lives all depending on, on which region that you live in, we're, we're going to have many groups. And I know that there are a lot of people in this world who we probably know who would never set, set foot in a worship service, but who might consider going to something like, like this, meeting just a few people at first, and then coming to a worship service eventually, perhaps. And yet the main primary way that, that we can read really react to what is standing in our way as the modern-day army of God. It's just exactly what God says to Joshua, concentrate on, on the living God, not your problem. Concentr or rather, consecrate your, your hearts and to prepare our, our, our hearts and our minds for action. And then to, to truly band together and to congregate as the people of God. You see, because what we find in Scripture, in the words of King David, King David says, For by you, O God, I can run upon a troop. And by you, O God, I can leap over a wall. You don't even have to knock those walls down. I'm coming right over them if your power will enable me to do it. See, the whole reason why walls and raging rivers and why adversity and problems and why all of these hindrances exist in our life. They are there to remind us of our size. How small and tiny we are. Yet let us not lose sight of the biggest reason why there are walls and rivers and adversities. It's also there to remind us about how enormously gigantic God's power is in our lives. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous in the third degree. For after all, He is the God who says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than, than anything that we could ever ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. Let us be strong and courageous.